Good morning. Trust your dwell with your soul. And the first rendition of that hymn, the man that wrote it, uh, he was a missionary and his wife and children were on a boat coming from England and the boat sank. And he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Because of the hope of Christ in his life. Amazing thing, really. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your grace that rests upon our hearts and our lives. That you come by your spirit and you minister to us. And I pray that this morning, Lord, that God, you would be in the house. And by your spirit, you would sow seeds into our lives that would impact us right now and for the rest of our life. Because your truth, Lord, is eternal. It's a living word. And it ministers to us every single day of our lives. And we thank you for that now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Um, I just want to begin this morning by saying this is... Uh, I've already checked with you. So this is our last day with you. And, but what I wanted to be able to do right now is just acknowledge and thank Neil and you as a church for the opportunity to be able to share God's word with you. It really has been a privilege. And uh, it's not something that I've taken lightly and I trust that God has ministered to you out of that. But I want to thank you and acknowledge that. Thank you. You know, God, God always has his way in all the things that happen in our lives. Um, Mitch started this morning by saying, out of Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. You want to guess where I'm going to start this morning? Joshua chapter 3. And, uh, and even one of the songs, I said this to Mitch, even when I look at the song list, even one of the songs that he picked this morning um, is a song that I've got right at the end. And so I, I just trust, I just want to ask you, hear the spirit of Christ this morning. Hear the spirit of the Lord. This morning I want to talk to you about, and I have a PowerPoint. I'm sorry, I don't have the notes. So <laughs> we were too busy packing and doing a yard sale yesterday. Be the people of God together. In the book of Joshua, Jesus uses the church to extend his kingdom here on earth and to do his will and purpose And he does that in the hearts and lives of men and women and children. Today, I want to ask, begin by asking you a question. What does it mean to you to be the people of God in this time and in this place? And what I want to do is I want to have a look at Joshua and the people of Israel going into the promised land. Because you are at that place. I believe you are at that place. And, uh, and so I, I trust that as we look at this, that God will speak to your heart about that. So I want to begin by saying, firstly, they had to enter into, enter into the promised land. Now, of course, for those of you that know the story, you probably know it well. For those of you who don't, uh, the nation of Israel had come, God had told them that he would put him into a land filled with milk and honey, a land of blessing, a land where a bunch of grapes were so big, two blokes had to carry it between a pole. So, you know, you buy those red globe in the supermarket. Well, these are super red globes like basketballs. <laughs> and God promised them that land. But they stood on the shore and looked across the River Jordan and said, 10 spies, 12 went in, two came out, Joshua and Caleb, and said, we can go. But 10 said, what? No, we can't. 
And so they spent 40 years in the desert till that generation that said no died. And now their children were standing as the nation of Israel on the River Jordan banks yet again, 40 years later, with those two same men, Joshua and Caleb. And God speaks to Joshua and says, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. Because now was the time for them to enter into the promised land. And so how did they have to do that? So I want to read from Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. They had to enter it by faith. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. And the water below that point flowed to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Just, I want you to try to just imagine this scene, all right? So here there are, I mean, there's lots of ways people can count the numbers. But let's just say there's a million people plus all their animals standing on one side of the river and they've got to get to the other. Now, if you were planning that, if you were doing the logistics of that, what, what, what time of the year would you choose? And we'll just talk about it in our context. Would you choose wet season or would you choose dry season? Dry season. Why would you choose dry season? Because the water level is really low and it's really easy, isn't it? And you can just get in and you know, everybody can go. You just carry the kids and you know, beat a few crocs off. You know, they're only freshies, don't worry about it. You know? like, when, that's when you do it, wouldn't you? What does God choose to do? Wet season. Not only is it a raging torrent, but guess what? It's overflowing its banks. It's in flood. Like the floodplain's got water on it. And God brings the people of Israel and says, you're going to go across. By faith. By faith. They had to take a step of faith into what it was that God had told them was theirs and that they were meant to go forward in this. They had to step into the water. And it was in the stepping into the water that they saw the miracle of God. Now, I just want to remind you that Isaac and David both said the same thing. And Isaac stood here and he said, this is trusting God, isn't it? Remember he did this? I'm standing on the spot, I'm trusting God. Then what did he say? Come on, talk to me. What did he say? What's the next bit? The step of faith. Trusting in God. I can do this. I can't do this all day, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not that fit. But trusting in God is easy in this context, isn't it? Standing here, it's just, you know, it's cool, it's air-conditioned, everything's cosy, it's really good. But taking the step of faith is the bit where that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? That's the reality of our Christian life. That's the point where we find out about who God is in our heart and in our life, who God is for us as a people together as we step out together into what it is that God wants to do. So here they are, a million people, standing on the other side of the river, it's flooded, it's overflowing, and God says, guess what, guys, you're going across to the other side. Yoo-hoo! Is God excited? Yes, he is. Why? Because there's the step of faith. And here, what does it say? As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water, they didn't have to step into it and go... You know, until there's just, I'm here, Lord, you know, there's just a finger sticking out of the water and God goes, oh, I got you. 
As soon as their feet touched the water, that was the step of faith. That was enough. That's enough. Just take the step. That's enough. And God will meet them in that. And I love this little bit. And it says, at the river's edge. Now, sorry, in my terms, I think floodplain, there's water already. My feet are already wet. But I've actually got to get to the riverbank. So I've gone slush, 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 slush. And now I'm going to go into the what, which part of the water? Because walking across the floodplain, well, I was just going to say walking across the floodplain is easy, but there's always the mud. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. But anyway, <laughs> just think it's firmly underneath. You've just got shallow water. But when you get to the riverbank, what happens? It gets deep. Does God want us to step out into the deep? You betcha. He does. Why? Because it's there that he is God. Because it's easy to walk across the shallow water, isn't it? But it's not until we get to the right to the edge and we're about to go into the deep water, that's when we've got to say, God, I'm trusting you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what God asks of us. There is and will continue to be steps of faith that God will require of us, of you as a people, as the people of God, to enter into what it is that he has for you. And it's something that you have to do together, individually, but also together. It's a, it's a whole body response. See, God didn't say, I'm going to... See, it'd be really easy. Well, if I was in charge, I, I think it'd be really easy. See, I'm used to eradicating things, so I'm really good at this. Um, so I, I, I would leave all the women and the children and the animals on that side of the river, and I would say to all the blokes, the warriors, right out, fellas, let's go. We're going over to take the promised land. And you leave all the women and, the, and you, know, you leave all that behind you, and you get on with the work. I'm a task-orientated person. Get on with the work, all right? We're going to go in, and we're going to rid the land of all these people, all these kingdoms. But what does God say? Ah, uh, you're all coming. Because you're all in it together. Every single one of you is in this together. Women, children, and the fellas. It's the whole. It's not just one bit. It's the whole. And I really want to encourage you to think of yourself as a people of God as a whole. Don't just think about... It's not just about the men. It's not just about the women. And it does include the children, but it's the whole. I want to get to how important children are in just a moment. It's the whole. God took the whole nation and he took them into the promised land and they crossed over. And it was there at that point that they saw the miracle of God and the riverbed was dry. And it says, if you want to read the rest of the story, it says that the water backed up at a place called Adam at a town. I wonder how all those people in the town felt about all this water backing up. <laughs> I don't know where it went. I don't know what God did with it. But there's a wall of water. Hang on a minute. Something going on here. I'm not sure what. And at the other end, it's bone dry. It says right to the Red Sea. God's miracle and God's provision comes in obedience to, sorry, comes as a result of our obedience of taking the step of faith. In Joshua 4, then, they've crossed over the river and it says this. So Joshua told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you, he picked 12. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will say, sorry, will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. 
These stones will be laid as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. A memorial. A memorial is a reminder of a particular event. It's a place of reflection. It's a place of recognition of something that's happened, something that's significant. Israel was told to build this memorial from the stones in the now dry middle of the River Jordan. Something that could never, had never had the opportunity before to do because they never, the river had never been dry, had it? And it was something that's never occurred since because the river has never been dry yet again. So this was a unique moment because God had intervened and they had the opportunity to go and take 12 stones out of the middle of the river and it says they carried them on their shoulders so it wasn't going to pick up a rock. You know, they picked up a stone and they took it into the middle of, they took it out of the middle of the river and they took it to the shore to make a memorial. It's something that was only available to them there and then in that moment and has never been available ever since. It was a unique moment in God. They, it was only possible because of the miracle of God. And what they did was they set a memorial up for God. They assembled those 12 stones and it was a place of remembrance. It was a place as a memorial to God. They didn't set up camp there. They then moved on into the promised land and conquered it. I want to I say this. God has given to you, did you call them CCF? Sure, okay. <laughs> God has given to you Cornerstone Christian Community Fellowship. Get it right. See, I got the acronym right, didn't I? CCF. God has given to you a piece of land. And you have to cross over to get there, don't you? You do. <laughs> you have to cross over to get there. And, and my sense in this is that God is going to give you the opportunity to collect 12 stones and to build a memorial to him, to build a building to the glory of God that people will look at and see that that is there because of the miracle of God. It'll be about him. It'll be about his heart. It'll be about who he is. It will be his testimony. And you will have the opportunity to pick up the stones and to take them and put them there. But that's not the end game. See, if Israel had built the memorial and then camped and stayed there, they never would have gone into the promised land. They never would have gone in to conquer and take what it is that God had given to them. They could have sat around the memorial and said, this is wonderful, and had warm, fuzzy feelings all day and night, set up campfires and had a bake-out, whatever, it doesn't matter. But they never would have gone and found out what the rest of the promised land looked like. Tasted the grapes. They never would have gone and seen the land of milk and honey if they'd have stayed there. I believe the heart of God is that you as a people together would build a memorial for God on that corner over there and people would drive past and they would see it and they would recognise the fact that God has done that and if they don't know, then someone would tell them that God has done that and it's only come about as possible because of what God has done. And in the future, at some point, one of your children will ask you, why did you build this building, Dad, Mum? Because we wanted a place of ministry to the rural area. We wanted a place where people would know God is in the house. 
where people would be in awe of God, yet drawn like bugs to a light, to the love of God and his people who would love them and embrace them, where there would be a continuous testimony of people's lives being changed and transformed and set free. That would be a place of healing and wholeness, a place of training and commissioning, where people would go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That there would be people meeting together in homes, in schools, at work, in all hours of day and night, meeting together and declaring the goodness of God because of that memorial, remembering what it is that God has done. And there would be churches that would be planted as well. The building is not the be-all, end-all. It's meant to be the tool for God to use to minister to this community, to impact this community. And God will give the increase. God will give the increase. And you might look at it and say, how are we going to afford that? What's the answer to that question? (laughs) Me. (laughs) God will provide money. Just like they took the step of faith and walked across the river, they had to commit themselves. God asks you to commit yourself. You know, one of the things we see, and I mean, you know, I've been in the church nearly 40 years now, and I've seen an increasing trend of what I call consumer Christianism, where people just float from church to church to church to try to find something that suits them and makes me feel good, but they don't graft into the vine. They don't become part of the church. And I want to encourage you and I want to say to you, if you're a visitor here today, don't take any offence at what I'm saying, but you need to recognise that God will graft people. God does that on purpose. He puts people in the church that they might become a part of the church, that they might be grafted into that church and that they might give of themselves. I want to encourage you all to be in the place of don't think, oh, well, we're in Darwin or, you know, everybody moves all the time. Ha, ah, yes, that happens, but... While you're here, graft yourself into the vine and contribute. Give of your gifts. Give of your heart. Give of your life. Give of your money. Give all that God has given to you that he might give back to you more than you even imagine. That's our testimony. Now we're always there. In Psalm 145, it says this, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. And as the people of God, you have already and will have a testimony of God and how he enabled you and how he has opened the door that no man can shut for you to enter into a new building and how all of that has happened and will happen and comes together. How God provided, how God worked all things together for good, how you as the people of God gathered and prayed and sought his face and God intervened time and time and time and time and time again. That your children and your children's children will hear for the glory of God, of the provision of God, of the blessing of God, of what it is that God wants to do, of what he is like, of what his heart is, how he is faithful, how he provides, that you will tell his story night and day from a heart and a life that has personally experienced God and that that next generation And the one that's a bit further out will long for and fall in love with this God that is your testimony about. And they will be filled filled with the desire to know him and experience the same things but more of God.
Secondly, they needed to conquer the promised land. In Joshua 23, right at the end now, it's the end of Joshua's life. And he says this, For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has yet been unable to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy. For the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. God not only told them that he had given them the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but he also took the promised land for them. It was God who did it, and they only needed to do what it was that God had told them to do because the battle was the Lord's, and he had already won it. They took seven years to conquer the promised land. Seven years. And in that time, they completely destroyed 48 kings and their kingdoms and their people. There is no place for compromise with sin and the worship of idols and demons. No place. And God declared that at the beginning. Because God fought for them, and he was there and already had gone before them, they could put a thousand of the enemy to flight. I like the sound of that, don't you? I reckon that's pretty cool. <laughs> Turn up and a thousand of the enemy go, rah, 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 run away. Yo, Westy's here, look out. I want to say this to you as the people of God, as a, the people of God advancing the kingdom of God in this rural area. You will obviously encounter the kingdom of darkness, won't you? You will obviously find resistance. Read the book of Acts. It's filled with it. People that stood opposed to the gospel, that actively used all sorts of things to stop the move of God. Did they succeed? No. Did God have his way? Yes, he did. Will God always have his way? Yes, he will. I want to say this to you and let it be an encouragement to you. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Is that right? Oh, that was exciting. (laughs) Let's try it again. I will build my church. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. That's right. And the kingdom of darkness, the powers of hell, will not conquer it. Luke 10, Jesus again. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, I've got a snake pit out the side here, so if anybody wants to take a sip of faith. What's this saying? Has the enemy been defeated? Has the enemy been defeated? Where? At the cross. When did that happen? Nearly 2,000 odd years ago, didn't it? And now what are we called to do? We are called to go forward in that victory. From that point knowing all authority and power, knowing that he has fallen, and to deal with the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus rules and reigns, and the enemy has already been defeated and has fallen. In Ephesians 6, it says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
You, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, now need to stand and be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and go with that same sense of authority that a thousand would flee before you. That they would tremble because of the name of Jesus Christ and take the possession and conquer the land that the enemy possessions, possesses, which out there in the rural area is the lives of men and women and children. God doesn't ask us to go out there and slaughter the people. He, goes, he wants us to go out there and slaughter the devil and to take those that he has captive, to take them captive for the kingdom of God, for Jesus Christ, that they would come to a place of knowing him and being set free, knowing his power, knowing his love, knowing his grace, knowing forgiveness, knowing healing, knowing wholeness. How can, how can I say that? Because I've experienced that. How can you say that? Because you've experienced it. And someone told you, didn't they? Someone came to you. Someone prayed for you. For you as a church, you as the people of God here in this place, my sense is that God wants for you to go out there and to take the promised land. To take the people to take the good news out there, to go out there and to take hold of what it is that God has before you. See, there's salvation in no other name, is there, but the name of Jesus Christ. In heaven, on the earth and under the earth. Everything else is a copy. It's just a phony. Jesus Christ is the real deal. Lastly, living in the promised land, Joshua 24 and 31 the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who lived with him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. We'll just go to the next one. See, the word people comes out of personal. So could you just go back to the verse, please? Right at the end, and I've underlined, I have underlined it, it's those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you have a testimony? Think about this before you answer it. Do you have a testimony about Jesus Christ in your life? And every one of you should say yes. It's not about how big or bad or mighty unclean you were before. That doesn't make it any better. As Meryl... See, I was the big, bad, and mighty, unclean street guy that got saved. Marilyn was the lovely church girl. It's funny how God puts those things together, isn't it? I have a testimony about what Jesus has done in my life. Marilyn has a testimony about what Jesus has done in her life. Every single one of us has a testimony, a personal testimony, about Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. And we're all on the same journey going towards that point where we will meet him one day. But we're all at different places. And each and every one of us is unique. And each and every one of us has a unique testimony. And God does and will wants to use that for his sake, that you could speak into someone's life. And these are the sort of things that you can say has come out of your personal experience. I know Jesus in my heart. I am known by Jesus. I know Jesus' love. I know Jesus' forgiveness. I know Jesus' presence. I know his anointing. 
I know his power to live the Christian life. I know his touch upon my heart. I know deliverance in my life. I know his promises. I have healing in my life. I know God's provision. I know because I know because I know. And it's out of that personal heart, it's out of that personal experience that we can come together corporately as the people of God and we can worship him. And that's where there is power collectively together. It's different to when I'm home alone with Jesus, I can sing a song and I can have a wonderful intimate time with him and that's fantastic and we should do that. But when we come together as the people of God, it's different, isn't it? The anointing is different, the sense of God is different. Because our personal experience of God corporately comes together and we share that together. And then we sing these songs. I believe in God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And we sang that this morning. That's that song, Mitch. We sang that this morning and the place just went, it was like fire, you know, like on a match, petrol, Why? Because we've come together corporately and we're acknowledging from our personal experience who God is and what he's done. How great is our God? I love that song. How great is our God? I'm sorry, and a couple for you that are old, you'll understand. A couple of oldies for me um, is that song that goes, I stand, I stand in awe of you. Some of you are not, that's good. (laughs) I don't feel so old now. (laughs) And there's another one. I sing praises to your name. Hold on, praises to your name. And, and those songs have been significant in my own life because I've been able to have times of worship alone with God, but I've corporately as we come together, it just God comes in the midst. And the one that we sing now that's a real favourite for us, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Join me. Your love never fails, never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love. See, and God comes. And together, together as we stand in that experience, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Where does that come from? In Psalm 133, 1 and 3, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And there, and there the Lord pronounces his blessing, his life everlasting. That's the place where God wants us to be, to be together as the people of God, to stand in unity together. And he commands the blessing. Think of that word, commands. This is not an optional extra. (laughs) This is not, oh, you know, I'll think about it, maybe today. Oh, maybe next week. God commands the blessing. You know, when God speaks, you know, heaven and earth were created. Same command. God commands the blessing when the brethren deal together in unity, when we come and worship him. So we started this morning the service. Thank you, Mitch. Be strong and courageous. I've got it written here, mate. (laughs) Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And God didn't say it three times because Joshua was weak or am I saying it because you're weak. 
Joshua, God said it to Joshua to reinforce to him that God was with him and that in him all things are possible. So today, as I finish this word, I believe Jesus Christ is wanting to say to you, his church, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, by faith, build a church on that land that God has given you and then go out into this promised land, the rural area of Darwin, and preach the good news. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Set the captive free in Jesus' name. That Jesus Christ is lifted up. That all men would be drawn unto him the author and the finisher of our faith, and that he would receive all of the praise and all of the glory that's due to his name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. In conclusion, be the people of God. Enter the promised land through faith and go and tell God's story. Conquer the promised land through the name of Jesus Christ because the victory is guaranteed yours. And live in the promised land through your personal experience of God and corporately as you come together, experience the command of God, the blessing of God, the unity of God as you gather together as his people. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word this morning and I pray that people would receive that from you. Jesus, you, you call each church and you put it in place for a reason. And each one has a unique call. We all have the same commission to go and preach the gospel. But every one of us, Lord, every church has a call to a particular place. And so as this church looks at the rural area and see it as the promised land, that, Lord, it's filled with people that need to know you. And that, Lord, you've called them and you've equipped them to be the people of God to go and take that message, that good news, to this community. That your blessing flows in there. Your provision is already there. It's just waiting for us, waiting for them, Lord, to reach out and take hold of it by faith in your wonderful and holy name. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, that's expressed in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.